you, Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Gracious, most heavenly Father, we thank you for being God of the God of mercy, love, and grace. We thank you, Lord, for being the Spirit that moves us. Even when we are challenged by the sadness of loss and death and other things that may be going on in our lives, Lord, we come this morning just saying, move me behind the cross and let the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Reign and rule and have your way that we would be free to hear a word from you and go forth with your power to live it out for the rest of the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As service progressed, we're glad that the United Methodist men team has made it back to Port Arthur. Welcome home. Last week, our worship focused on seeds on good soil. The um, particular Matthew passage that is part of the lectionary has some of the greatest parables that are anywhere in the Bible. But the parable that we will study today is affectionately known as the wheat and the weeds. And though there's other parables about soiling and soil and sand and mustard seeds, this particular parable of the wheat and the weeds is not in any of the other synoptic gospels. Though the message comes forth because God utilizes parables to teach in many different ways. But I say to you this morning, as we continue with the second of the parable teachings, again I ask the question, so what is good soil? We may look around today and maybe there's more gardeners today celebrating because their gardens have been watered by God. This morning I even bought my rain boots because just in case I have an opportunity to walk in the garden, I might be prepared. But if we're truly part of the gardening, we don't worry whether or not our nails get broken, we get a little musty, and it gets a little muggy in the garden. Some of us are gardeners, and some of us are just part-time gardeners. Because as we read earlier in the youth reflection, and I asked the question, who's in charge of weeding, we'll get to know a little bit more and more about the garden, the weeds, and the wheat. If we look at this wheat that has passed, it rained a great deal, and some of you who have been praying for rain, you might be able to change your prayers this coming week. Ease up. I think we've got a little water in this land now. We might not need that many prayers. For you here, know that God does hear our cry, and the rain has come and will continue to come. But today we're going to look more than at physical rain. We're going to look at the kingdom of heaven. For the sake of this sermon, the sermon title simply is, Kingdom Time is Now. That's what I said. Kingdom time is now. Over the past year, many of you have shared with me 
some of the greatest moments about Port Arthur. I can remember the lights twinkling in Miss Tina's eyes when she went down memory lane and she shared with me the businesses that used to flourish in this community. And she talked about the great and exciting harvests that went on year in and year out. For you see, that's part of the community history. Or maybe if you've ever been at a meeting and the phrase Zumo sausages happens to come up, I get a lot of information on where I can go and how I might be able to pick them up and what it is about that special sausage in this community. For you see, you may say to yourself, what in the world does Zumo sausages in our past have to do with the kingdom time being now? Because a lot of times when we think of those moments, we think of the old Port Arthur. And we want people to be feeling what we feel, so we share those moments. Donnell has had a chance to get fully adjusted here in Port Arthur, Texas. I almost would give him a new name. He is a PAT. He is a Port Arthur transplant, and he's having a good time, for he knows that the kingdom has come right here. He has discovered all the great things. He's gone into the little places. He's even seen the soil and the sand and the sea and the fish. But if you understand that the kingdom time is now, you have to look at the nurture, the outreach, and the witness of who God is, not only to us, but to all who sit around you. So turn to your neighbor and ask them the simple question, who does the gardening? Ask your neighbor, who is it that does the gardening? Mr. Mitchell does the gardening. Mr. Evans does the gardening. Donnell does a little gardening. Mr. Connor, do you do any gardening or are you just fishing? Well, just fishing. So he said, don't put him on that list. Who else does the gardening? Reverend Allen does some gardening. That's right. He planted the roses. We have all these gardeners. But we ask, who is it? that gets to deal with the weeds. Jesus Christ. That's the key of it all, because in order for the kingdom time to come now, that we would nurture, that we would be a part of outreach, that we would witness unto God, it is simply about us knowing who is the gardener, but who it is that picks the weeds. The gospel message this morning, like I said, is unique to this particular Matthew gospel. You won't see the story of the wheat and the seeds. You'll see other sowing parables, but you won't see those in other gospels. And though we may have great history on this area on the west side, if you look at the connection between the Matthew passage and the psalm passage, we have to be encouraged to recognize that there's a great sense of urgency and a need for commitment for us to embrace the fact that kingdom time is now. And again, you may ask the question, 
What is this parable that you're talking about? Why is it that Jesus teaches in these stories? Well, just to give you a little history, parables were not just any stories. They were stories of relevancy. And they are stories that have succeeded and lived through year in and year out, generation to generation. And yes, America today is not the agricultural entity it was in the past. They don't do what we used to do because there were families that can look back in their lineage and say, if it wasn't for my uncle the farmer, if it wasn't for my granddaddy who lived on the land, if it wasn't for Uncle Bubba who was the sharecropper or Mary Sue Ellen, we wouldn't have made it. Because if we're true to ourselves, we are part of the land, and we are part of the history of the land, even if we don't want to claim it. I did a little searching to see what businesses in America still are part of our history. If you go out into the Midwest, there are farms from one side to the other. If you go to part of Pennsylvania, there's farms from one side to the other. If we go and see that there's rice farms from one side to the other, there's still agricultural businesses in our world today, even if we are not a part of it. So as we begin to look at our harvest journey, as we begin to look at this scripture through the lens of the parable, I want you to consider these three questions. When the slave asked the master in verse 27, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then did you get these weeds? Why was that question asked? But then the next question in verse 28, there says, Do you want us to gather and get those things up? And then the psalmist asked in 139.7, To God, where do I go from your spirit? And where can I flee your presence? Because when we look at the key nature of what this passage is about, it's bigger than just of some seeds being sown. It's bigger than just weeds coming up. It's a story about end times. It's a story about the enemy. It's a story about a good crop that is challenged with chaos. I went and looked up the word tares because I wasn't sure whether that was just any kind of weed or any kind of weed, tares is a specialized weed that grows in the Palestinian area. The funny thing about that tear that it's called, it looks just like the weed. It grows just like the weed. It's planted just like the weed. So in the midnight hour when the devil came, or when the enemy came, he planted that look something that looked just like what was there. So when the question comes from the slaves to the master, did you sow that with your good seeds? Because up on close eye, the weeds and the tail virtually look alike. Maybe you've been on your job, and it's hard to tell the Christians and the non-Christians. 
Maybe you've been at the school and it's hard to tell the Christian student from the non-Christian student because they look just alike. Or maybe you've been in the grocery store and it's hard to tell the Christian cashier from the non-Christian cashier. For you see, part of this parable is to help us recognize that both the weeds and the tails live together. This is a message about coexistence. This is a message not about us running out and saying, get the weeds out of my garden. But it's a story to help us understand that until the end of time comes, until the Lord thy God comes back for his second coming, the existence of both good and evil will be in the same lane. The good and evil will exist side by side, but it's because of the great and wonderful God that we can look at ourselves and talk to ourselves and talk unto God and say, I've been transformed. I'm good seed, not evil seed. I'm good seed, not bad seed. Again, I say to you, Jesus used parables which were common teaching stories to teach the crowd. In Matthew 13, all the audiences are the crowds except one particular area where he explains in the second part of this, he talks to his disciples, he takes them to the side, and then he gives them an explanation of what this parable is about. Sometimes that's what we need from Jesus. For you see, sometimes we're part of the crowd. We sit in the crowd. We even sit so that we would sit right behind somebody. So maybe we won't be seen, but we're in the crowd. We sit in the crowd and hope that as his disciples, maybe we won't be pulled to the side. But so many questions were asked. So many things that the people wanted to know that they could not really fully put their hands around the meaning of the parable. What does it mean to have the wheat and the tail in the same way? Well, the story simply goes like that. In the middle of the night, an enemy came. And the enemy planted the same looking seed, but it wasn't good seed, it was bad seed. They planted the tares. They planted the weeds. And when the workers, the persons in the vineyard, the servants, came to the master and said, what do we do now? Commentary writers indicate that they came to the master, asked the question before they needed to be directed about what to do because they didn't want to be blamed for planting those other seeds. You've been on your job, and you'll go to your supervisor and ask the question in a very proactive way. Because you want to let them know, I didn't cause that drama in the cafeteria. So I want to ask you something. So that's what they were doing. They went to the master to ask, did you plant those seeds? We didn't plant them. Did you plant those bad seeds? Because we didn't plant them. And then once they got the answer, they said, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to tear them out right now? 
Do you want us to go and fix the door? But what did the master tell them? What did the master tell them when they asked that simple question, what is it that we should do? The master simply said, leave it until the harvest comes again. Let them grow together. And maybe there's a message in there that sometimes we have to grow together to see the grace that God gives us. Maybe we have to grow together to see the mercy. Maybe it is the reflection of the bad seed in the face of the good seed that reminds us who God is. And maybe it's just a miracle in the middle of the day. That God's great love, even until the end of time, can transform two crops that look very much alike. The pears has a poisonous piece on it that literally would choke everything else in the garden. And the wheat is there to grow strong. But he says to his people, don't bother separating. Continue to nurture. Continue to give outreach. Continue to witness. Continue to take care of the garden. Even though you know that the wheat and the tares are growing side by side. What does that tell you about the great king of peace? He's going to handle the garden many times. He's going to handle the weeds when it's time. He didn't call us to be weeders. He called us to be nurturers. He called us to be part of love and outreach and service to others. He called us to tell others about who he is. He called us into relationships of witness. So truly I say to you, when you think about the Lord's Christ, Think about the kingdom time in your life. Think about the revelation of him transforming you from who you used to be to who you are now, knowing that you maybe were originally planted as a bad seed, but he touched your life and your life has transformed and you are now a good seed. What if somebody had pulled you up as a reason? That's a strange kind of thought. Because if these gardens had been growing for years in and years out, somebody didn't think you would be who you are now, and they would have pulled you up from the roof. Get those weeds out of my garden. That's all I can imagine. Because you have now been transformed and you recognize that in this part of your journey, in this part of your walk, you are now growing like you. We often say to our little children when they're growing really fast, ooh, you're growing like you. You're just, ooh, just stressing out. And usually the person that says that with great excitement is not the one who's buying the school shoes, the jeans, the t-shirts, the jackets or all the things that go with it. You want to be saying, slow your roll a little bit. Don't grow so fast. Could you wear those shoes out before we have to give them away? 
I often tell people, we bought the same kind of shoes. So when one foot grew, you put the next shoe on and you still have the shoes just growing side by side. If you catch them, buy one, get one free from so-and-so, you buy the 12, the 12 and a half, the 13, and the 1. Get right over the 13 and a half because they don't go to that size. I don't know what happens. Something goes from 13 to bam, just 1. Because they're in a growth spurt. But imagine somebody saying, I think that's a reason. And snatching them off. Thanks be to God, he's the gardener. Thanks be to God, he's in charge of those things. Thanks be to God that he did not let somebody snatch up my plans. Because, see, many of us don't want to recognize who we were before. If I went around the room and said, were you one of the ones that the enemy planted at night? Nobody would rush to say, yes, I was one of them. Y'all would look down, look to the side, have another conversation, be chit-chat. No, she's talking about somebody else. Because the kingdom of God is now. And because it is now, there's still the desire for the Holy Spirit to transform all the plans in the garden. The psalmist tells us that there's no place we can go that he's not there. We can go to heaven and he's there. We can go below, he's there. We can go to the sides, he's there. We can go around the corner, he's there. So no place in the garden can we escape the fact that he's there. And he talks about in the psalm that the Son of Man, the Son of God, this is the only scripture that uses this dual language to describe Jesus Christ. But the big deal there is that He is everywhere. And because He's everywhere, we can embrace the message from the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. So that helps us recognize that the kingdom of heaven is both present and in the future. God will come again through Jesus Christ's second coming. It talks about it in apocalyptic scriptures, in the book of Revelation. But there is hope. Because you don't have to live the rest of your life worrying about who planted you. So when you say to your neighbor, Who's in charge of the weeds? And who's in charge of the weeds? God wants us to know that He's in charge of it all. And that He is capable of moving and changing us. So knowing these things about our garden isn't about figuring out who's going to be in the bundle and who is going to be in the barn. It's about living today knowing that God is the gardener. Knowing that God will deal with the weeds when it's time. Knowing that God is in charge. When we read verse 24, let me look at it again. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his seed. 
And then when you go over to verse 38, it simply says, the field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. And he said in verse 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So it becomes really, really clear when you take out the nature of the parable and add in who is who. Harvest time is going to come in God's timing and God's way. For harvest time will separate the weed and the tear because judgment will be determined by God. You must think about looking at where you are now and turning to God and say, can I be transformed? before the face of burning and gnashing of peace comes. Psalm 139, 22 and through 24 causes us to think about God searching us up and down, looking at us closely and saying to each of us, I know from the uttermost parts of your being. What does it mean to see God and to be healed? What does it mean to know God and allow God to know you? What does it mean to acknowledge that the sower of good seeds is both the Son of Man and the Son of God? What does it mean to this side of Port Arthur, Texas? What does it mean to the east side of Texas or the north side of Los Angeles or London, England or the villages of Jamaica or all around the world knowing that God will handle God's business but he's given us a mission today. I say to you this morning, Psalm 139 reminds us that there are opportunities for our hearts to be searched, for us to change for us to be transformed, for us to be part of the good part when it comes. Yes, he said, don't do anything until I get back. Let them grow together. Let them grow side by side. And the commentary writer said, that is the difficulty in this passage. That the Christian struggles with being side by side with the sinner. You want us to sit on the same pew? You want us to be in the same building? You want us to go to the same job? How would they know the difference? That's an interesting thing. But a good farmer definitely knows the difference between the bees and the sun. A good farmer knows the difference between the good crop and the bad crop. But you still got to nurture the land. You still got to allow the Holy Spirit to reign in. You still got to be the witness that God is calling you to be. You still have to allow your soul to be transformed. So the bottom line is we all are in position to be good things, better things, and fantastic leaders. Join our life. So I'd encourage you, if something plucks your nerves and simply says, search me a little, only you and God know. 
in the fullness of your heart, whether you're weaned or tail at this moment. But because he has given you ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to love, today is your day. Because if you don't believe that you are part of the good seed, there's a time for transformation. There's time for the garden to be adjusted. There's time for your life to be restored and renewed. Don't walk the rest of the way thinking somebody's going to pluck you up. Because God says, I am the great I am. For God is in charge of the ultimate. And at this point, the kingdom of heaven is now. Take it then that the harvest has not yet come. But the kingdom of heaven has. Because once we commit to God and our salvation is in motion and His saving grace is upon us and the power of change is starting to work in our lives, we are moving from being bad seeds to good seeds. And when someone who knew us as bad seeds sees us and knows that we've been changed and they want to try to tilt their head and say, I remember you when. Just say, thanks be to God that he didn't pull up the weeds when the day got really tough and he stepped into the garden and it was muddy and he could have snatched me by my roots and that would have been the end of my life. Be a testimony. Nurture somebody. Be a testimony. Give the outreach story to help somebody go back to school or get some school supplies or feed somebody. Or pray for somebody or show up or witness to somebody in a grocery store that looks like they don't have any hope. For it is through your journey and your test that your testimony will speak a word of God. Don't worry about whether you're seen, whether you're the weak or the test. Because this day, we all have an opportunity to begin a new and start a church and be the weak that God's name has to be. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Will you stand?